Welcome, church. Welcome, and uh, it's good to be together today. You know, I'd love to be in person. I'm an extrovert. I love people. Uh, but praise God for technology and that we can join together because we need the Lord right now. We need worship. We need prayer. We need to focus on Him. In this time in our world, in this time in our country, in this time in our lives, we need the Lord. And so I'm so thankful that we can gather in worship today and set our eyes and our hearts on Jesus. Uh, you know, God is at work, though. And, and last week we heard so many great reports about people who were watching online and, and individuals and people making commitments to Christ and, and people as families joining together and opening God's Word together and studying together. And so I just see God at work. Uh, people watching from all around the world. And so God is moving and God is doing big things, even in this time of crisis, even in this uncharted waters in which we're living today. And I just want to say to you, hey, you are loved, you know, and you are cared for, you are prayed for. God has a plan for you and a purpose for you. And as a church, we want to come around you. And so if there's a specific prayer need, I'd love for you to go to rollinghills.church and forward slash care. We can pray with you, pray for you. We have counselor on our staff team as well. Also jump into the live chat today and, and share prayer requests, share concerns, because we know there's a lot going on in people's lives. And we have pastors that are there in the chat right now who are there for you. Uh, you know, this past Friday, the mayor of Nashville uh, called. He tried to get some clergy in our, in our community on the phone. We did a conference call and, and just asked us to come together. And he, he talked about the things that the city's doing uh, during this pandemic and the way the city's moving. He also talked about how the CDC is asking churches to help and to be the hands and feet of Christ, which is incredible to see the government uh, working with local churches. And then he asked this. He said, hey, would you make Sunday a day of prayer? And would you just pray for our community? And so I want to join with churches all across our community right now and, and all across the world. And let's pray right now. And so I want to invite you to pray as I pray aloud. Let's pray for what God's doing in our community, in our country, in our world. So Father God, we need you. Uh, Lord God, we know this coronavirus, it's, it's been all over. And Father, we've been watching the news and we've been seeing all the reports. And so we come, Father, joining with churches around our community and joining with churches around the world. And Father, we pray for those who've been impacted by this. Father, we pray right now for Italy and, and lift up this entire country. Pray for Christians who are there, Father. Pray for doctors and pray, Father, that you would bring healing and hope. We pray for China and Iran and for other countries. And God, we lift up our own nation right now. And Father, I pray for those on the front lines. I, pr I pray for doctors and I pray for nurses and nurse practitioners and, and all those, many in our church, Father, who are working around the clock. And I thank you for their sacrifice. I pray that you would be their strength. And I pray for teachers who are trying to figure out how to help students learn in this time. I pray for parents who are trying to teach their children, Father, what is happening right now. And Father, I pray above it all, Father, that your spirit would come. And that, God, you would bring healing and hope. And that, Father, you would do something in this time. Jesus, you move in a mighty way in times of crisis. You are the one who, who grows your church, who grows us deeper in our faith and stronger. And this is the time for us as churches to lock arms together and to be the hands and feet of Christ. And so, Father God, we come before you and we lay these requests before you. We ask for healing. We ask for hope. We ask for help. And we ask that your presence would be made known in this day and this generation. And God, we love you and we declare our faith and our trust in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 
Church, our God is moving. Our God is at work. And so I just want to say welcome back to our series. We're in this great series. It's our Easter series leading up to the cross and Jesus' death, then his burial and his resurrection as we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday together. In our series, you know, we plan our series about three years in advance. And so we're always planning and preparing and we want to help grow fully mature disciples and so we balance Old Testament, New Testament. We always go expository teaching and topical studies and so three years ago we didn't have a clue, you know, what was going to be happening at this time but God did and God knew exactly what we would need and so this series all hides on Jesus and isn't that what we need? I mean, right now, our eyes have been on coronavirus, our eyes have been on the stock market, our eyes have been on these problems that we're facing. And whenever our eyes are there, these problems get bigger. And they just grow in our hearts and our lives. But when we put our eyes on Jesus, our faith grows stronger. And that's what we're seeing in this series. And so we're looking at some people who were there that very first Easter. We, we talked the first week about Mary and just looking at a mother's perspective and how Mary saw Jesus come into the world as her son and leave as her savior. And we talked about how Mary was there, you know, and, at, at Jesus' birth and then at the cross, at the resurrection, became a part of the early church. And I'm so thankful for all the moms that are out there and the way God is using you and your family. God uses ordinary people to accomplish an extraordinary work. And last week we saw Judas. Judas, the most disappointing person to me in the entire Bible. A guy who was there, he's a part of the 12. He was so close and yet so far. He was around Jesus, but he never committed his life to Jesus. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? And for Judas, money was his God. And he sold Jesus out. And we want to be men and women who live our lives for the glory of God all of our days. All of our days. We want to know Jesus. And today we're looking at a guy named Thomas. Thomas is called Doubting Thomas. Now, the Bible doesn't call him Doubting Thomas, but we've kind of given him that name over the centuries. But I got to tell you, Thomas was a realist. He was practical. He's probably like many of us. We'd be like, okay, I kind of want to see the evidence. I want to see what's happening. Thomas had questions. Thomas had doubts. And in this time right now in the world, there's many people who have questions. There's many people who have doubts. And maybe you've been struggling there. God, why is all this happening? But here's the fact. We live in a broken world, right? You go back to the very beginning. God created the world and it was perfect. And God created the Garden of Eden and, and there's Adam and Eve and they're in right relationship with God. They're in right relationship with one another and their marriage is great. And everything's good for two chapters. And then Genesis 3, they sinned. They said, God, we don't want to do it your way anymore. We want to do it our way. It's all about us. And the death and the decay enters into the world. But God didn't give up on them. And praise God, he doesn't give up on us. In our own selfishness, in our own total depravity. You know, we see in our hearts, don't we? We see, hey, I'd be willing to fight for toilet paper. Right? I know where I am in my own life, in my own struggle. And yet God meets us there. And God says, I'm going to send my son to redeem the world, to redeem lives because you matter to me. And we're going to see today that Thomas meets a resurrected Jesus and his life is never the same. And I pray today when we meet Jesus, our lives will never be the same. Because God's saying, my son's coming back and he's going to make all things right. So in the meantime, you live your life for me. And you watch what God does in Thomas's life and I pray you'll see a miracle happen in your own life today. If you have a Bible with you this morning, 
I want to invite you to open with me, or if you have a Bible today, wherever you are, wherever you're watching, just to open with me to John at chapter 20. John chapter 20. So New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, all talking about Jesus, all leading up to his death, his burial, his resurrection. We're going to be in John chapter 20, verse 19. And it says, on the evening of that first day of the week. So on the evening of the first day of the week, the first day of the week, what day is this? That, it's Easter Sunday, okay? That's what day it is right here in John chapter 20. You know, they saw Jesus being nailed to a cross and his body put in the tomb. And on that Easter Sunday, the women go to anoint his body and they get to the tomb and the stone's been rolled away and, and, and there's no body in the tomb. And, and they're wondering and they start heading back, but Mary Magdalene begins to cry and Jesus meets her. In her darkest time, in her darkest moment, Jesus shows up. And Mary Magdalene sees Jesus. She's so excited. She runs back. She tells the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And John and Peter start running for the tomb. They, they get there. The, the tomb is empty. And so they head back to meet with the other disciples. And it's the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear. Notice that. Fear. For fear of the Jewish leaders. <laughs> These guys are scared, right? They've seen what the Romans and the Jews, Jewish leaders did to Jesus. They, they saw him nailed to that cross, the worst possible way to die. And they're thinking, we're next. <laughs> they're coming after us. And fear has gripped them. And they're inside with the doors locked. Maybe you know that feeling. Maybe fear's got a hold on you, even today. But it's not the end of the story. Look what happens. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Don't you love that? Jesus came and stood among them. The doors were locked, right? So Jesus walks in in his resurrected body. It's bigger than matter, bigger than time. One day we'll trade these bodies in for a new body, a resurrected body that will last for eternity. Praise God. Jesus walks into the middle of the room and says, peace. <laughs> peace be with you. I'm here. I'm present. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. That's the biggest understatement in the Bible. Man, these, these guys were just like, yes, he's alive. He's alive. Here he is. He conquered death just as he said. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Jesus was communicating. Jesus wanted to make sure they got it. And he wants to make sure you get it today too. Jesus is here. He's in your home. He's with you. He showed up this morning, this afternoon, or today, whenever you're watching. And, and he has walked in and he's saying, peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. The indwelling presence of God. That God will never leave us. That God will never forsake us. That God is with us. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus. Didymus means twin. So it was kind of Thomas's nickname. He was a twin. But he was one of the twelve. Notice that. He's one of the twelve. This is a guy who was on the outside, on the periphery. He, he was a guy who was with Jesus for three years. He was one of the twelve. But he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. <laughs> Now, why wasn't Thomas there? 
I believe Thomas was going through a crisis of faith. I believe Thomas was going, you know what? I, I saw you do miracles. I mean, Thomas, guys, this guy was committed. In John chapter 11, when Jesus says, hey, let's go to Jerusalem, and they knew what, what waited in Jerusalem for them was probably the death of Jesus. Thomas was the one who said, hey, let's go with him that we may also die with him. I mean, he's committed. John chapter 14, when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they're like, how do we know how to get there? You know, and Thomas is the one who asked it. Like, how do we know, Jesus? And Jesus goes, you know the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. These incredible statements many times were given because Thomas asked a question. He asked a question, and now Thomas is, is struggling. He's had this crisis in his faith. He's watched Jesus be nailed to a cross. He saw them put a spear in his side. He saw his dead body being taken down and laid in a tomb. And now they're coming and saying his life. They're like, Thomas is going, I don't believe you. And I'm struggling. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. This is where we get the doubt. But I don't blame Thomas. I would want to see too. I would want to know, right? Well, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. I love that. Thomas showed up. Thomas is like, I, I got to go, I got to see, I got to be around what is happening here. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Three times. Jesus is communicating to us, to you, to me, to his disciples, peace be with you. I am here. Then he said to Thomas, he looks right at Thomas and he says, hey, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Now I want you to notice something. Did Thomas ever say to Jesus, hey, I've got to see the nail marks or, or the mark on your side? No. He told that to the disciples earlier. And Jesus walks in and he knows exactly where Thomas is struggling. He knows exactly the doubts and the worries and the fears that Thomas has. God knows our heart. God knows what's going on in our hearts and our minds. And he meets us in that very moment, in that very struggle. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas believed. Thomas made a commitment right there. My Lord and my God. Now, I want you to notice this. We talked last week about my Lord, how Judas never said Lord. He always said teacher, rabbi. There's a commitment that you make. But notice this, that Thomas even says, my God. This is what separates Christianity, right? That Jesus truly is the Son of God. That he alone is God. Uh, a lot of world religions, we're to say, you know, Jesus is a great teacher, a prophet, you know, and, uh, or he was a good man. No, is he really the Son of God? Is he God incarnate, the divinity of Christ? And he says, my Lord, my God. Jesus doesn't go, no, 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 no. No, he says, yes, I am God. I conquered death. I made a way for you to have eternal life. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's that? That's us. He's talking about us. He's looking down through the quarters of time and going, hey, I know there's going to be people who are going to follow me. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. 
which are not recorded in this book. John, who's one of the disciples, wrote this. He goes, I can't even write everything down. There's so many things that Jesus did. Uh, We know the Apostle Paul says Jesus appeared in his resurrected body to over 500 people. I mean, think about that. It only takes two or three witnesses today to put somebody in jail for a lifetime. And, And Jesus appeared to over 500 people in his resurrected body. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing that you may have life in his name, that he wants us to have life. He wants us to have an abundant life here and eternal life. Life to come. God is doing something great. And Thomas met the resurrected Jesus, and I pray we will too. Hey, if you're taking notes today, I'd love to, you to write some things down. Or if you're on version, the sermon notes are there as well. But here's some things I want you to get. Notice this. Doubt is the doorway of faith. Guys, doubt is the doorway of faith. Thomas, he said, but in, he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas had doubt. Thomas had doubt. And so do we. At some point in our lives, you know, we're, we struggle with this. We, we struggle and we want to know and we have questions and we have thoughts. Listen, doubt is not a sin. Doubt is not a sin. God created us with the capacity to doubt. And doubt is a good thing. I mean, think about this, right? We get those email scams that come in and they're going, you want a million dollars, you know, just send a cashier's check for a thousand dollars. And you're like, I doubt it. You know, I mean, praise God, right? He protects us in that. Hey, you want a new car? I doubt it, right? But sometimes we can let that doubt go too far and miss the blessings. Sometimes we can let that doubt go too far and we go, you know what, I got a tax refund. I doubt it, right? And we just click off of it and we miss it. Or we miss when good things happen. But doubt is a doorway to faith. Doubt's not a sin. God can handle our questions. God can handle our questions. I remember several years ago, my wife Lisa called me and she said, hey, uh, Mabry's got some questions for you when you get home. And I'm like, all right, bring it. Let's go, you know. And Mabry was about seven at the time. And, and so I come home and, and she's like, Mabry's in the room. So I go in there and, and Lisa, you know, has kind of told me, all right, get ready. She's got some hard questions. I said, all right. So I go in and Mabry, seven, she's like, dad, how do we know that God is real? All right, if you're a parent, your kids have asked these questions at some point. And I got to tell you, I kind of got excited when she started asking those questions because I knew God was working in her life. And so I started talking to her. I was like, hey, let me just tell you, you know. And she's like, but I can't see God. And I said, I get it, I get it. But you can't see the wind either, right? But we don't doubt the wind. We know the wind is there, right? The Bible talks about the wind blows. You see the effects of the wind. You can see how things get bent over or knocked down. But I got to tell you, God is there. God is working and so we began to talk and have these questions, and she's asking how. And, and it just made me excited because I was thinking, you're going to see God do great things in your life. And I got to tell her these things. I'm like, hey, you just wait. God is moving. God is at work. It was about a year later that Mabry gave her life to Christ. I had the privilege to baptize my daughter. And I just said, listen, it's a journey. And there's always going to be questions. You know, he's God and we're not. But he's going to keep revealing himself. Over time, his ways are not our ways. 
But God can handle our questions. We can bring those to Him. And we're going to continually do that in our lives. Doubt leads us to truth. Guys, that's the journey. Doubt leads us to truth. And that's what is happening with Thomas. And that's what happens to every one of us. That we're going to be led to truth. What is truth? That's where we go. And we're going to meet Jesus. You know, you look at all the great people in history who followed the Lord. And there was this crisis of faith. You think about a guy named Job in the Old Testament. The guy was a righteous guy. But then he went through this trial, this hardship, this difficulty. I mean, all of his children were killed in an accident, right? And then we see this, that he lost his livestock and his livelihood. He lost all of his money. And his wife comes and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And he's like, no. I've gone through this crisis of faith. But listen, I believe The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm following God. I'm trusting him. I'm sticking with him. Regardless, I've wrestled with these things and I don't understand it all. But I know God. And the psalmist, Psalm 73, the psalmist says, you know, I've watched the world. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do these things happen? And in this crisis of faith, he said, I went to the temple and I met the Lord And I saw and I looked at what happens in eternity and I just said, you know what? I'm putting my faith, my trust in God. Mother Teresa, she struggled with doubts. You can go look at some of her diaries. But then there came this moment where she said, no, I'm trusting God. God's got a bigger plan. God's got a bigger purpose. God wants to use me. God can handle our questions. God can handle our doubts. I don't know, maybe you're struggling there. There's a great book Lee Strobel wrote. He was an atheist. He started researching and studying, does God really exist? And then he meets the Lord. He writes a book called Case for Christ. Hey, check it out. Read it. Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. That's why John says, I wrote all this down so that you may know that he's the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. Hey, doubt is meant to draw you closer to God. And that's why we are created with this. It's meant to draw us closer to God. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And I love this. Thomas was with them. (laughs) Thomas was with them. Thomas showed up for church. Thomas showed up for church. He came. And that's where God met him. Now I tell you, so many times God meets us. When we come and we gather at all of our campuses or we gather, you know, here a lot, God meets us. I'll talk to people sometimes and they'll say, you know, wow. I mean, there was this song that was sung and it was just like God was speaking to me. Or the people will say, you know, it was like you were just talking directly to me. It's like you've read my mail. It was like, this is the struggle. You were talking directly to me. Or when you said this, and I'll be like, I never said that, you know. And that was the Lord. That was God speaking to you. God will speak to you. Thomas showed up. He put himself in a position to hear from God. Bring your doubt to Jesus. There's a great story in Mark chapter 9 about a dad and his son is sick. And so he brings him to Jesus. And the disciples try to heal him. They can't. And so they bring him over to Jesus. And the dad's like, Jesus, if you can heal my son, if you can, will you heal him? And Jesus goes, if I can. Everything is possible for him who believes. And I love the dad's response. He goes, oh, I do believe. I do believe. Help my unbelief, right? Help my unbelief. 
And Jesus heals him. He restores him. See, your faith impacts others. Your faith in God is going to impact generations. As we struggle, as we fall in love with Jesus, as we put our faith and our trust in him. And I love that this dad brought his son to Jesus. And he was healed. He was changed. Bring your doubts to Jesus. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Doubt's not the opposite of faith. You know, we're looking at a world right now and we're seeing this coronavirus. We're seeing all the worry and all the fear. And we're looking at that and it begins to question, God, where are you? God, what's going on? And God is here. And if we'll start to look, we'll see how God is moving and working in the world. So many times we say, why do bad things happen? I love what C.S. Lewis said in response to that. C.S. Lewis said, you know, we ask a lot of times, why do bad things happen? But he goes, look at the total depravity of man. Look at our sinfulness. Look at our brokenness. Look at what we're willing to do and our greed and our lust and our anger. We would destroy ourselves, left our own demise. The bigger question is, why are there good things that happen? Why are there things like love and grace and peace? Why are there healings? Why is there hope? Why is there help in this world? It's because God, God is at work. And if we will look for him, we will see him and we will understand him. Romans 8, 28 says this, For we know, we know that in all things God works for the good. It doesn't say all things are good, but it says that God is at work in all things. All things work for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. The sovereignty of God, that God is in control, that I can trust him and I can place my faith and my hope and my life in Jesus. Look at this, number three. Doubt leads us to a point of commitment. Doubt leads us to a point of commitment. Jesus says to Thomas, right? He says, stop doubting and believe. There comes a point for all of us, right? To stop doubting and believe. Jesus met Thomas in his doubt and he called Thomas to believe. There comes a point in that crisis of faith where we go, you know what? Jesus, I believe. I believe. Hey, don't let your doubt become a dead end. Don't let your doubt turn in on itself and, and make you miserable and make you just kind of pull away from everything. Jesus will meet you in those times. It's okay to have doubt, but at some point you must make a decision. What do I believe? Because see, we're all going to put faith in something, right? I, I believe it takes more faith to not believe in God than to believe in God. I mean, it takes a lot of faith to believe that two rocks collided and all of a sudden this world just appeared. And I've got an eye and I've got a brain and all this stuff just Oh, wow, it's just a, a coincidence, right? It just kind of happened. That takes a lot of faith. I believe, right, that God created it all, that God is sovereign. I don't know exactly how he did it all, right? but he, he did it. And my faith and my trust is in him. Like two billion people around the world say, there is a God who is at work. At some point, we make a decision of what we believe. And no decision is a decision. Now, a lot of people like, well, later on, I'm going to decide, you know. When I get out of school, when I graduate, when, when things settle down in life, when, when, you know, I can kind of, you know, get things under control, when my kids are out of the house, when they graduate, then I'm going to get serious about my faith. Then I'm going to get serious about, you know, what God wants me to do and how God wants me to live. No, no, no. no decision's a decision. You can't just keep 
kicking the can out of the field and say, hey, I'm going to put this thing off. I do think right now in our world, we're seeing things that have been superficial for a long time being stripped away. We're seeing in life, you know, the things that are sports or money or travel, not that those are bad things, but they distract us and they take all of our time and energy. And what are we left with? God, family, faith, church, the things that are important. Don't just keep waiting. Make a commitment to him. Jesus has come to you. What do you believe about Jesus? Is he enough for you? Do you love him or do you just love his blessings? Or have you said, Jesus, you are my strength. You are my rock. I'm putting my life in your hands. You know, we all have faith in something, right? Every day we demonstrate it. Yeah, I have faith when I sit in this chair. I don't walk up to the chair and just go, hey, I wonder if this chair will hold me. I don't have to go get a structural engineer to kind of say, hey, what's this metal and how much do I weigh? I, I just walk up to this chair. This chair's held me before, right? It's taken my weight. So I just kind of come up to the chair and I'm just go, oh, yeah, I, I put all my weight in this chair. I got faith right there. It's going to hold me. What about you? A lot of times we come with Jesus and we're like, I'm going to kind of step in a little bit and just kind of see. I, I, I need you, Jesus, when, when, when things are hard. But when things are good, I, I kind of got it. I'll do it myself. But Jesus is saying, no, put your full weight and your full trust in me. You just rest in me. Put your weight there. Live your life for me. I want to be enough for you. In the good times and in the struggles that you hold on to me. That's why Jesus is here. And he's inviting you and me to, to believe to believe in the good times and the hard times that he is enough for us. And leads us to number four, faith in Jesus changes your life. Faith in Jesus changes your life, changes the way you live. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. I love this. Thomas declares his faith in Jesus. Have you done that? Has there been a time where you've just said, Jesus, you are my God. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why not now, on March 22nd, 2020, I'm committing my life to Christ. And Jesus is my Lord and my God. This is a personal commitment. My, my Lord, my God. Not your parents' faith, not your church's faith, not your country's faith. Your faith, your commitment. And then we move from living in fear to living with faith. You know what I love about this passage is these disciples who were locked in that room for fear of the Jewish leaders. They're huddled in fear. You know, as Jesus appeared to them and said, peace be with you. When he appeared to them and Thomas is there, these guys became men of faith. The men who trust. Men who live their lives for the glory of God. You know, here they go out. And 40 days after Jesus was resurrected, they stand up there in the middle of Jerusalem. And Peter, this ordinary fisherman, preaches at Pentecost and 3,000 people commit their lives to Christ. They're standing in the middle of everybody saying, Jesus is Lord. God's at work. It'd be easy right now for us to live in fear, but man, as people of faith, this is our time. 
This is our time to be the hands and feet of Christ, to take a meal and leave it on our neighbor's porch, to, to send an email just saying, hey, how can I pray with you? How can I pray for you? To, to reach out to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our community, to say, how can God use me? I'm not just going to cower in fear. I'm going to be a person of faith because I believe in a sovereign God. And I know that to live is Christ, yes, but to die is gain. <laughs> that the best is still to come and I'm putting my faith in him and it's going to change the way I live. My life's going to look different than the world around me because I'm going to be a person of faith. Guys, set your eyes and your heart on Jesus. Set your eyes and your heart on Jesus. It's so easy to set our eyes and our heart on the things of this world, but set your eyes and your heart on Jesus. You know, the prophet Jeremiah, back in his day, man, there was exile. The people were off in exile. It was a tough time, a dark time, and they were off in another country. There was time of fear and worry. But here's what the prophet Jeremiah wrote to them, and I think God's saying to us today, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Your plans, my plans, they all look different today than what we thought was going to be going on right now at the end of March of 2020, but hasn't caught God by surprise. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. With everything in you. God, I'm putting my full weight in you. I want to seek you with all of my heart. I trust that you can handle whatever's going on in my life. God, I trust that you are big enough. And I trust, God, that you're not finished with me. That, God, you are still at work. You're writing a greater story. God, you're going to bring us through this. You're going to bring us through this crisis. You're going to bring us through this time. And so, God, let me be faithful in the midst of it. And, God, I know that there are better things ahead, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with my life. You know, Jesus told his disciples, he told them, hey, you're going to go through some challenges. You're going to go through difficulties. But here's what I want you to know. John 14, 27, peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Guys, do not let your hearts be troubled today. And don't be afraid. God is with you. God is for you. God is here. I just want to invite you into a, a time of response. What is God saying to you today? Just as Jesus met Thomas, he wants to meet you personally. I'm going to invite you just to open your hands right now to the Lord. Right now, would you just open up and maybe, maybe where you are, wherever you are, you want to say, Jesus, I want you to come and be the Lord of my life. I receive the gift of salvation. Maybe for you, you just want to say, Jesus, I want to receive your peace. It's been a struggle. I've been afraid. And I want to receive from you. Maybe today you want to say, Jesus, I want to receive hope. I want to receive joy. I want to receive faith.
I want to invite you just to turn your hands over for a moment and empty out the worry, the fear, the anxiety. And then turn it back over. Say, Jesus, come into my heart, my life. Let me be a bold disciple. You know, Thomas, it's believed, took the gospel to India. (laughs) He was a man of faith. He shared Christ with so many. And God used him to impact the world. And God wants to use you. Impact the people around you, your family, your friends, your children. God has a great plan for your life. Would you trust him? I'm going to invite our worship team to come. And I want to lead us in a prayer. God's going to meet us right here. So let's pray together. Father, God, we need you. Father, we open our hands just saying we receive from you your peace, your plans, your purpose. God, I pray that our doubt would not be a dead end, (laughs) that we wouldn't cower in fear. But God, it would be a doorway to faith. And God, we would grow in our trust of you. We would be the disciples that you called and created us to be, that we would be people of faith. And so, Lord, meet us in this moment. I pray for those, God, who today put a stake in the ground and just say, I've had a crisis of faith, but today I'm going forward in Jesus. I pray today for those, Father, who who just say, I want to live my life for the glory of God. God, meet us in this moment. It changes forever. God, we love you. In your name we pray and commit our lives. Amen, amen, amen.